everyone. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod with a bit of an unplanned episode. Our original plan this summer was to put out one episode a week with some cool interviews or maybe topics we don't have the time to get to during the season. Well, the Big Ten just can't help itself at the buffet table of other conferences and announced this week that it was taking a second helping for the Pac-12, or I, as of this recording, I, the Pac-4? I'm not quite sure. Uh, we still have a great interview coming out in a couple of days with Garrick Norman, but we're going to kind of squeeze this one in uh, in between. Before we begin, I'd like to for you to consider leaving a written review on your podcast player. It helps the algorithms tremendously in getting other Spartan fans to find the show. As an added bonus, take a screenshot and shoot it to me at eric at tffinots.com. I can send you a $5 gift card to Nudge Printing. And uh, TFFINOTS continues to grow thanks to word of mouth from you and continue to share with all your friends and family. So we like to thank you a ton. Okay, Rod. Uh, so right now, we're still sort of absorbing the news. The Big Ten is getting even bigger, adding Oregon and Washington in addition to the previous uh, Big Ten country of SoCal with USC and USCLA. And yes, we both understand that 100% of the conference expansion and alignment is due to football. It has nothing to do with any other sports. But this is a basketball podcast, so we're going to discuss what we think the impact will be on the Big Ten from hoop standpoint. And so, um, you know, aside from the general weirdness of the expansion outside the Midwest again, Let's just start with Oregon and Washington. And why don't you just kind of go, I guess we'll just start with the basketball traditions between for these two programs. They make the Big Ten a deeper league. They're, they're two schools that have some things going for them, but this is not, you know, the last round where you were adding UCLA and USC. These two are much more akin to USC. UCLA's from a basketball yeah. perspective, obviously a, a breed apart. That's a that's a program that you can expect, and they will expect to contend actually contend with some regularity for Big Ten titles, unless they really screw it up. Uh, Oregon and Washington, I would put more in the USC category, which is yeah, these are programs that at least when they're operating near their best should be able to think about consistently being NCAA tournament teams, but they're not often in the mix for deep runs in March, final fours, et cetera. Every once in a great while, it might happen. Oregon, I would say, has in recent terms a little more success than the other two, but not so much that you talk about them as you know, a program, let, let's put it this way. I think when UCLA joins, UCLA probably will deserve to be in a tier somewhere close to where Michigan State and Purdue are. I don't think that's true of these others. So will they improve the depth of the conference? Yes. Are they going to be real game changers? in terms of the power structure in the league? I, I don't think so. And and what's interesting about it is both, and let's restrict it to Washington and, and Oregon for this discussion. I think that both of them actually have the potential to be better than they've been, particularly Washington. 
the state of Washington over the last, say, 10, 15 years has become much, much better than it once was in terms of talent production. You know, the, the city of Seattle produces a lot of players. Um, the current, uh, the uh, NBA rookie of the year, the reigning rookie of the year, uh, Paolo Banchero uh, of the Orlando Magic and who did a year at Duke. He's a Seattle kid. And there are lots of others. It's, it's really become uh, a center of high-level basketball. And yet the University of Washington has not really been able to effectively parlay that into consistent results. Uh, I almost think of them as something, and this is a, it's not a hundred percent on the money, but I do think the parallels are are there. They're almost in my mind, a West coast version of Minnesota in the sense that there's a, but that there's a lot of homegrown talent. And if they could just keep Mm -hmm. a heavy percentage of it at home, they would be a more consistently impactful program and that they really should, particularly now, because not that Washington state was ever able to be a serious threat to Washington, but now that there's, you know, Washington's going to be in the big 10 and Washington state is going to be God knows where a reconstituted pack, whatever mountain West. <laughs> one of those two seems to be the most likely option. ACC. I'd, I'd bet <laughs> against that, but yeah. Washington's going to have an even heavier advantage. The problem is Washington isn't always getting those kids to stay home at all, you know, and Gonzaga's out there too, of course, but you know, Gonzaga's program really isn't built on Washington kids so much. They may get one occasionally, but they're not really losing kids to Gonzaga so much. So for Washington, It'll be interesting to see if that changes. And I put a lot of that on coaching. They've just made some bad hires. That's the bottom line. Yeah. I mean, Lorenzo Romar was there forever, and he actually did a very good job recruiting. He just couldn't turn that into results. Um, they have, um, and God, I can't believe I'm drawing a blank on his name. The guy who was Jim Beheim's long-term assistant at Syracuse, uh, Mike Hopkins. And Hopkins has also had some occasional success in recruiting. Uh, may remember he beat out Michigan state for Isaiah Stewart a few years ago. Um, and he's occasionally managed to get highly rated kids, uh, since then, but he hasn't been able to put anything close to a winning program together. Oregon is a little bit of a different story because they have had some success. You know, Ernie Kent had a run there for a while and then more recently, Dana Altman has had some very good teams. Lately, they've been last couple of years, they've been in a little bit of a down period. It was interesting. Last year, Dana Altman called out the fan base for not supporting the program adequately. And, and that highlights the major issue <laughs> with these programs yeah. relative to what you're used to as a Big Ten fan. Fans don't as much they just don't the only one of these four programs we've added that cares about basketball as a fan base at a big 10 kind of level is ucla sometimes sometimes not always um so that's going to be a little bit different but 
You know, that's interesting because I, I, um, I wonder, is it, is it being part of the big 10 that changes this? Is it because they're large alumni base? Because I feel like, I guess I don't know how I, I haven't looked to see how big Oregon or Washington are. I think they're pretty big schools, yeah. but they're no, they're nowhere near the size of, of the big 10, you know, the Ohio States, Michigan States, Michigan's, but I think they're probably at least on par with like a Nebraska or, you know, yeah, Iowa I haven't, I haven't looked size, into enrollment either, but I suspect you're right. They're big, they're big institutions. They're not quite as big, you know, the big, the, look, the big 10 schools are the biggest, you know, they're among the biggest in the country in, in, in enrollment terms, yeah, right. you know, sure. Yeah. Um, but they're, they're large. I would, I would guess without looking at it, that Washington and Oregon probably are somewhere between 30 and 40,000 students, probably somewhere yeah. in there. I would guess, but I guess you know that you wonder why the difference, why there's that difference in, I don't know, interest in I guess athletics. I mean, certainly, certainly there's a fan base around Oregon football and Washington football, and they have pretty decent traditions about yeah. schools now. I mean, Oregon more recently, and Washington you know more distantly, I guess, in the past. But um, I, there certainly isn't that, there, but there isn't that sort of collegiate interest in athletics in general for these Correct. schools, and I don't and. And we talked about that with USC and UCLA, yeah. uh, you know, at least those schools, you're getting good traditions and success, at least one in football, one in basketball. But do you think that's something that's because obviously there's South California's its own thing, right? There's a million things to do in Southern California. Well, you know, Portland or I guess Eugene, yeah. <laughs> there's not a whole lot going on. You know, it's not like there's, I mean, yeah, people could do stuff outdoors, but you could do lots of stuff outdoors in Michigan and, you know, Minnesota, Wisconsin. It's not like it's any different. It, do you think it's, I mean, is it, is it a cultural thing? Do you think it's because of the fact that- I think that, it's that. Because, you know, people are people grew up and they're, they're like the third or fourth generation who lives in whatever state. And people out the West Coast are generally newer transplants, either from, you know, other countries or maybe from, you know, the Midwest or the East Coast who kind of move out to the West Coast. I mean, I, I guess I don't know the answer to that. I don't, maybe you'd have to talk to someone from there. I think it's a couple of things. I think it's that. Some of it's cultural, for sure. Because even- I hear what you're saying, but I would say, generally speaking, um, and I'm basing this on the time I've spent in those states, which is as a visitor, not as a resident, um, there is more of an emphasis in a greater percentage of the population to outdoor activities than there is in Michigan or the Midwest as a whole. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's true. Now I can't offer you proof of that. That's just my anecdotal impression, but I feel pretty confident saying that. So some of it is, is that, and then it just is, I just don't think the traditions are the same. I just don't think, and you can, you can start and that gets back to culture too, in a way, right. Um, you can't yeah, right. delve in why, why do people in the South care so much more about collegiate athletics than they do in these other parts of the country. Well, the same thing happens here. Uh, you know, I would say the West coast is more similar to the East coast in that way, in that it's, it's not as simple as saying they don't care about sports because both of those regions care a great deal about professional sports. You know, right. like I would never say the Bay Area is not a good sports market. It's a great sports market for professional sports. 
fantastic. Mm-hmm. The Giants draw unbelievably well. Um, the Warriors, obviously, in recent years have done very well. Uh, the 49ers are an obsession. Um, but Stanford and Cal, <laughs> it's, it's just not there. <laughs> not on a level yeah. that would strike any non-Northwestern fan from the Big Ten region as normal. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's complicated, but I think there is some truth to it. Those programs are, I guess, going to have to hope that being part of the Big Ten and, you know, maybe this is kind of a kick in the pants to kind of accelerate fan interest for a while. And then you hope that it just becomes habit. Um, they're certainly not the worst in terms of their fan following. Uh, you pointed out that particularly in football, both schools have real traditions um, and I think on the football side, they'll do pretty well on that front. Basketball is a different deal, though. Ba- these are not passionate basketball fan bases. They're just not. And and they even fall, you know, we can talk about, you know, Big Ten schools that strike us as kind of middling at best in terms of the fan base support. You know, the Michigans, the Ohio States, people like this. Uh, those schools are much stronger than Oregon and Washington in terms of their fan yeah, bases. Like so, but you know, and the other thing is, which is an interesting dynamic with Oregon is of course you have the Nike affiliation now part of the conference. Right. Um, so that'll be an interesting dynamic, I suppose as well. Well, we have some real recent evidence too. I and mean, we talked about this last uh, Thanksgiving tournament, which was out in the, what PK was disgraceful where, yeah, where, yeah, I mean, right. Like you said, there's not only was it Oregon, but Portland was out there as well. Now, Portland's not going to have a huge right. alumni base, I would imagine. But there was no, I mean, Michigan State fans were, at, at, it seemed like at least 50%, if not more of the fans, even in the, against those teams, it was, it was weird. You'd never expect that here. Correct. Right? And you could, but that's just the nature of what Yeah. Those. And to reiterate that discussion, you know, granted the games were in Portland, they weren't in Eugene, but still how many, I haven't yeah, seen well. the numbers, but I have to believe. <laughs> There's a heavy number of Oregon alums in Portland. There have to be. And it would just be like well, saying, well, the, no one lives in Eugene. Right. It would be like saying, <laughs> you know, well, game in Detroit. You can't expect Michigan State fans to show up. What? You know, that would be insane. Right. Um, right. Or Des Moines. And you, people from Iowa City, are, you know, that's not people. The people aren't living I mean, in Iowa City gonna, who are look, Iowa alum. They're all gonna, over the state. Are we? We're yeah. going to see it. You know, Michigan State's going to play a game against Baylor at Little Caesars. This winter, um, yeah. it's been announced in the non-conference, you know, Michigan state does that regularly, usually against Oakland. This time it's a little bigger opponent, but they don't have any problems with attendance at those games. So yeah, that was, <laughs> that whole thing was illustrative of what we're talking about that it is, but, but again, what's funny about it is that the trailblazers have a very passionate fan base. So the NBA mm-hmm. team, it's not that people don't care about basketball. It's that they don't seem to care a lot about Oregon basketball or Washington basketball. Um, so those schools have some work to do, but on that front, but in terms of what they're going to be performance wise in the big 10, again, I would say they make it deeper. You're certainly not adding, you know, this is not adding Penn state or Nebraska, you know, these, these schools will be better sure. than they should be better than that. You know, but how much better? We'll see. I 
feel like at one point Michigan State played Washington in the NCAA tournament. Long time you know, ago, 1986. Like long, then the 80s 1986, or okay, Scott yeah, Skiles. And that was really, in recent years, one of the high points of Washington basketball. They went through a period where they'd had Detlef Schrempf. They had a German connection. They had Detlef Schrempf, who was a very good player in college and in the NBA. And then he was gone for that game, but they had a seven-footer named Christian Velt who was a very good player. Uh, but MSU took care of business in that game. That was a first round win in the terminal. Yeah, it was like eight, nine or something. Uh, or maybe it was uh, seven, 10 or Michigan state was, I, I don't know whether they were five or six, something yeah. like that, but they beat Washington. Then they beat Georgetown the next game and then lost to Kansas in the, that terrible clock right. game. Yeah. Sweet 16 game. Um, <laughs> We already talked about that last summer. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Washington really since then they've produced some, they've had some good players come through there, but not a lot of sustained team success. Oregon, as I say, they've had, I think they had one final four under Ernie Kent, I think. And Dana Altman's had some good teams there as well, but they just haven't had that, you know, sustained run and and the other thing too is let's be honest they've been doing that in a pack 10 pack 12 that has not been particularly great over the last 20 some lots years. of wins available yeah right you yeah, basically yeah. you know you've got ucla more often than not is good but they've had some weird periods too um arizona has mostly been very very good and that's kind of about it. You know, periodically you yeah. have, you might have a Stanford or a Cal go on a run for a few years, but it's, we're, we're not talking about a league that's been on the level of the big 10. And, and that's the thing for as much crap as the big 10 takes about no national champions since Michigan state in 2000, the pack, whatever is working on a streak three years <laughs> older than that. Their last national title was Arizona in 1997. Yeah, they've had some teams certainly in the in the final. They have, but yeah, the big yeah, but you're right. They they have not, and in general, there have been many years where there have been like just two two teams who make it. I mean, they've or they've struggled to get more than one. It's gotten worse, which is crazy. It's it's gotten worse in in recent years. But I but I would say from a basketball standpoint, if you were looking at the Pac-12, the four schools that the Big Ten has added are probably. I'm thinking about this. I would say right now, today, when you would say, what are they now? What could they be in the near term? You're probably talking about four of the top five in that conference. The big 10 has added the Arizona would obviously be an outlier where they they would be better than some of the teams, at least probably all of them, except UCLA, maybe that um yeah, that the big right. 10 added but the big 10 got from a basketball perspective which didn't drive this decision at all it's just happenstance the big 10 got the better end of of what was in that conference from a basketball perspective yeah. and maybe utah when utah would jurors. be the well and they've had some success since then utah would be and i was thinking about them actually they would be the other one that would would be in that conversation with some of these other schools but comfortably four of the top six so they're definitely all right. four from the top half i would say well and utah is is a recent addition to the pack 10 12 you know whatever i mean 
<laughs> so that it's hard to sometimes even remember them as. And I don't even know if when Majerus was there, if they were in the they weren't. Pac-10? They weren't. A, I don't think they, they were in a pack school. No, they yeah, were. So. Uh, they were in the. They were in the Mountain West at that point, I believe. Well, um, I guess you know. Let's talk about the. I guess the overall sort of makeup. What's going to happen with the extra teams right after we talk briefly about Nudge Printing? Uh, as longtime listeners know, Nudge Printing, the awesome work run by Gabe and Brittany, great Spartan alums, helped with the Spartan Strong effort. They provide all our gear, which you can find at tffinots.com slash merchandise. There you can find our hoodies and our t-shirts. We will once again this season, and it's actually coming up very soon, uh, we'll have a contest again for predicting <laughs> 1 through 14. It'll be really hard next year, 1 through 18. 1 through 14 of the Big Ten um, standings. You can go up against Rod and me. And um, and so whoever wins that gets a hoodie, can get some... Um, some uh, gear for the, the t-shirts. And so stay tuned for that. But Nudge Printing is where you get all that. And the neat thing about Nudge right now, if you go to nudgeprinting.com, not only can you get great Michigan State stuff, get stuff ready for tailgating, etc. But they have gotten rid of all the fancy models. <laughs> and so they've redone their whole website and they've got regular people like you and me who are posing for pictures. And so, because, uh, you know, Nudge Printing, the whole point of it is they're just they're not you know the nike athletes uh they're just like you and me just regular folks throw on a shirt go to the bar to watch a game that's what they are that's who they are uh, and so that's what they've re- sort of rebranded their website and so you can check it out at nudgeprinting.com uh, they've got all kinds of great products again super comfortable very wearable they're the most popular shirts in my family by far i actually have to get more stuff because everyone wants they, you know, it gets dirty. They want another one. So they, we, people are stealing it from other people in our house. So we need to get more stuff. So they are great, uh, wearable shirts and, um, high, super high quality, great value, free shipping. If you listen to the show, you can type in final four into the coupon code at checkout. You get 20% off your order. And again, like I mentioned, you can get a $5 certificate. If you leave a written review and I get it, you get an extra $5 that goes to nudge printing. Just send the screenshot to me at Eric at you won't regret it. Again, you can't have too much nudge stuff. There's wonderful things. All right. So let's talk about in general, you know, obviously this is a football decision. The league went from 16 games. We sort of just barely got used to that. And we we're joking about, you know, SoCal being, you know, Big Ten country and now Puget Sound, I guess, or whatever. Uh, the entire West Coast now is pretty much Big Ten country in addition to, um, you know, Omaha. So... What does this do? What is what happens now that there are eighteen teams? What does that do for like a scheduling standpoint? How does this kind of change things within the conference? I mean, obviously nothing's been announced, and I think probably at this point, I think we can be comfortable in saying that we're just going to have that for twenty twenty four. I mean, I don't think they'll add another two teams that are going to change next year's schedule, but I guess we don't know for sure. Well, that's <laughs> it remains to be seen. Here's here's what we do know. I um I saw something from Andy Katz on Friday. I think it was. Um, and Andy Katz, uh, because not only because he's a good reporter has been for a long time, but he's also a big 10 network guy. I would take his information on this stuff very, very seriously. Mm-hmm. He said, well, his understanding is, is that they're going to stick with the 20 game schedule with the 18 team league. Okay. Um, so that's interesting because I think 
there is reason to wonder, well, might they expand that again and go to 22 games? You know, for now, it appears it's 20. So what does that mean? I've gone through this and maybe somebody's got a different idea, but in my mind, the only way you can fit 17 teams into a 20 game schedule, which is this other 17 teams you're going to play. If, if we're sticking with the idea that you have to play everybody, which I'm assuming they are in basketball once, right? Right. It's going to mean three home and homes and 14 single plays. Right. So we are even further removed from any pretense of what used to be the way that the big 10 functioned for most of our listeners, for the majority of your life, paying attention to big 10 basketball, even in the 11 team, big 10, you were mostly you're playing most teams home and home. You had a handful of single plays and yeah, there would be the occasional year where that might be significant as to who you played twice and who you played once. But for the most part, it was still close enough to the true round Robin home and home with everybody that we all, you know, that we grew up with that you could, you could really attach some value to winning the big 10 regular season. We are now at a point where I think that's just out the window. I mean, you and I have talked about it on this podcast before that the what winning a Big Ten regular season title means has been devalued. And that was the case when they moved to a 14 team league. Now we're at 18 and you're talking about three dual plays and 14 single plays. Come on. There's just (laughs) I mean schedule is going to, and there have been some instances where in the 14 team era where already where, which we've only had for what, eight years, something like that. Sure. Yeah. Um, Sounds right. I, I go back to 2016. I think most people during the course of that season understood that Michigan state was the best team in the league that year. They did not win the big 10 regular season championship. Indiana did. And it was almost entirely down to scheduling difference there. And I'm sure there's been another year. Well, we know the COVID year, that was the case, but that was literally one team played fewer games (laughs) and and won it. But I I won't dignify them by mentioning who it was, but I'm sure most of you know who I mean. (laughs) Now, certainly Um, now they can guess. (laughs) Yeah. uh, But now we're even further down that road. I mean, you're, you're at a point where basically the home, you know, who you're playing at home and who you're playing away, it's going to be more like football schedules, you know, in terms of the imp- the importance. Well, well, we get Michigan at home this year. We've yeah. never thought about it in those terms in basketball, but that is where we are. Uh, but I think the bottom line is, even though guys like Izzo will never not care about winning the Big Ten, and even as a fan, I know if Michigan State is in position to win a big 10 regular season title. I don't care who they've had to play to get there. I'm going to want them to win it, but how important it is. And maybe most of all, 
what it's going to mean in terms of representing the quality of your team vis-a-vis other teams in the league who played a very different schedule than you did, it's just not going to be that important. You know, so that's, that's something there's been a lot for whatever reason. And I, and I think the reason is actually pretty obvious because this round of expansion didn't just change the way some of these conferences look. It has resulted in quite possibly the complete elimination of a conference with unbelievable amounts of tradition and years behind it, right? The pack, the pack eight, 10, 12 is probably going to be consigned to the dustbin of history. And if it's not, it's going to be a faint echo of itself in terms of what survives. Um, But there's been a lot of hand wringing around this. And I think that's the reason why. Um, One of the things, I think there's some of that hand wringing, I think is misguided. And we can talk about that in terms of what it might mean for other aspects of the sport, like the NCAA tournament, for example. But I do think if you are a basketball fan who cares about what happens between November and the beginning of March, what we call the regular season, um, this is not great because it absolutely devalues anything you're playing for. Right. You know, you can argue that what it might do is it might heighten the importance of the conference tournament. And we've talked about that here in the past too, that you can make an argument that as the big 10 has continued to expand, um, the conference tournament has felt more important, but I would submit that's only been an occasional thing. Like, I don't know, you went last year. Did it feel to you that the Big Ten tournament was really important? Did that feel like there was a lot on the line? No. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> think so either. Because per, Purdue had so clearly demonstrated that they were the best team that, I, you know, but there are there have been years, Michigan State's been part of a couple of them, where, you know, there were a couple of teams at the top that you could flip a coin as to which one was better. And so those times it felt like the tournament really did mean something to the teams, to the fan bases, maybe even to NCAA tournament seating, you know? So it varies. I guess, you know, the way I look at it too, at at this point is, yeah, I don't like it, but it, you know, it's, it's what it is and there's nothing you do about it. And, and yeah, TV controls everything and football controls everything. And that's as dumb as you may think it is. It's just the, the reality of the situation. But when it comes to when it comes to the the regular season, you're going to be playing. It's going to be much more imbalanced. I think you're going to there's your season could swing by two or three games because you might get, you know, Northwestern, Nebraska, Penn State, uh, you know, Minnesota, and USC and Washington at home, and you might have play all the other teams you know on the road. You you know you could have yep. a very unbalanced right. schedule, and it just by happenstance, you could have a really, really challenging or vice versa, right? You could have a very easy schedule and that's going to happen much more often. But I think, you know, the one thing we can rest easy, more easy, easily in the big 10 as big 10 fans and you know, certainly Michigan state fans, but you're not looking at a league that's going to be getting two bids, right? I mean, so 
this league is going to, if anything, is get more bids because you just kind of poached teams from other conferences. There's still only so many at large bids, right? It has to. to by, I mean, it has to happen. And so if that's the case, really all you're talking about is pr- probably seating because you can have 30 teams in a, in, a, in the league, but you're still going to have a pretty good feel from your non-conference schedule, whatever it is. And then uh, within the conference, you're still going to have a pretty good idea who are the good teams or not. Now, is it going to affect your seating instead of a five? You might end up a seven one year or a three instead of a five because you just got an easier or harder schedule. You can, I don't know. I mean, there's probably going to be some at the margins that probably makes a difference, but there's still going to be so many teams taken from the league that I don't think it's going to fundamentally change March in the sense that the NCAA tournament is going to feel the same. It will totally change the regular season. It's going to make it feel different if you win the Big Ten. It's it's going to be kind of like, what does that even mean anymore? But Right. And I don't think the Big Ten tournament will change in the sense that it's not going to mean anything differently except is this team one win away from making the NCAA tournament? Well, they're probably going to be one win away if you know, the conference is 14 teams or 10 teams. It doesn't matter. And so that's, I don't think will make much difference, you know. One other the, way it might change is, does this mean that we start playing Big Ten tournament games on Monday? Well, I mean, we're, my <laughs> wife and I are trying to figure that out. Like, try, how does the math work? Because yeah. one thing you know for sure is that every team is going to participate. There are some conferences, the smaller leagues, you know, they may have the last teams that don't mm, play, but. I don't, I don't think that's a lock. I think it's far more likely than not, but nobody said that yet. Yeah, it's hard to imagine with the money involved I agree. in TV and the fan bases that you wouldn't have everybody there. Now, you're right. Maybe you have to come there. We're we're figuring out. I think you can play um, four games. Is it four games? Or is it six games a day? I think you play at most six games a day. I think that was the, the usually sessions work. You have two sessions, um, or is it four? I'm trying to remember now. I've worked this out. But you know, you have to. You only play so many. You have to. I mean, you're just going to have like two or three days worth of buys, depending where you are in the conference standing. So yeah. it'll change that part of this tournament. But ultimately, what really matters to people is March for most fans. And is it going to really change March a whole lot? That's, I guess, the next discussion, because that is like, is this going to make it more likely or less likely that you're going to expand the NCAA tournament field? Because I think you and I both and most college basketball fans feel that, you know, 64 slash 68 is the perfect number. It's the amount of Cinderella's who are involved, but you don't have like, you know, cruddy teams in there all the time. And just like, just throwing any major or any uh, power five conference team that one barely had a winning record. You know, you don't want to just throw at anybody. So I think, I think you can still keep that magic without going to 128 or like, you know, half the, you know, division one basketball teams playing. So I don't think it changes that at all. And you know, that's something I know people are afraid of. Yeah. So uh, let's, one element before we get into the heart of that issue is I I do think, um, as we've been talking about what these moves functionally do is they devalue even a bit more, a regular season conference race, you know, and yeah. championship, mm-hmm. but what you can argue it further solidifies is the idea of this sport essentially being almost entirely about March that everything before that is preamble. And that, and, and (laughs) that is look, that is the reality in college basketball and has been for a long time, you know, romantics or people of a certain age attach value 
to things like conference tournament or conference championships and all of that. But, you know, look at, uh, there's a perfect example of this in the big 10 at West Lafayette, Indiana, Matt Painter, Matt Painter is by any measure an extremely successful coach, but because of what's happened to that program in March for most of his tenure, there's a feeling of underachievement around it. Right. I mean, I think that's, I think that's a fair statement that illustrates perfectly the nature of the sport of the way you are evaluated of what fans care most about. It's that. So these kind of moves are, if on one end you're devaluing the, what happens in the regular season, that has to have a correlating effect of continuing to add more value around what your performance is in March, you know? So that's where we're at now. The tournament, I saw a lot of apocalyptic hand raining in the media way more than at any time, any previous uh, realignment round. Um, And again, I think most of that was because this was perceived to have killed the PAC 12. Um, And so that's why there was heightened. One of the reasons why there was heightened emotion around this, but I saw some hand raining from college basketball media on Friday and Saturday that I really personally thought was histrionic and not accurate. And it centered around what you were just talking about. There seemed to be a feeling that this round of expansion, and I think also there's, there's also in the background of this is a sense that Florida state really did its damnedest to give people this understanding that the (laughs) ACC may not be for long, at least in its current form. Um, But there seemed to be this sense that, well, this is just a, a way station toward an inevitable two things. One, an expansion of the tournament. But two, I think the bigger fear is something we have talked about previously on this podcast, which is that eventually the power conferences will break away and hold their own tournament, which will be a profound departure from the NCAA tournament that we know, because it would not feature anything but power conference schools. I don't think that's what this means. Could it could we get to that point at some stage? Yeah, you can't write anything off, but I don't sense it. And I and I feel that way for a couple of reasons. One, you remember when we had Jay Billis on? And listeners, if you haven't you haven't listened to that episode, I would suggest that you do. Uh, because it spoke to a lot of these this issue was one of the things that we touched on. And he had an interesting point. I hadn't really heard anybody articulate before that made sense to me intuitively. Because what we were talking about was, well, it does seem like an inevitability that the power schools are going to break free of the NCAA rubric and form their own entity. 
And it makes sense for a lot of reasons. It makes sense financially. It makes sense because they don't want to be subjected to being part of an organization where their vote is the equivalent to a 1500 student um, liberal arts school in the middle of Iowa. (laughs) And they both votes carry the same weight. Right. Even though both school, both schools have massively different circumstances, um, priorities, et cetera. All makes perfect sense. It also, by the way, would, I think, free the power schools up to do some of the other things we talked about with Jay that I think are going to be a necessity sooner or later, which means things like moving to an employee model for where right. athletes contracts, are compensated directly, yeah. contracts, which will impact things like the portal, which is driving everybody crazy, all of these kinds of things, right? But mm-hmm. the concern from a basketball point of view is, okay, if that happens, what does that mean for the NCAA tournament? Does that mean that the, these schools aren't NCAA? Michigan State's not an NCAA school anymore. So what does that mean? And, and Jay pointed out, he said, well, look, there's nothing that's preventing those schools getting together with the NCAA schools and holding their own tournament where everybody is eligible to be invited to it which would be a status quo essentially. So that's one thing that, and intuitively that made a lot of sense to me. Now there are other complications that we can't solve here today, which is okay. If they pull out, does that mean those schools will still schedule NCAA member schools? Will they play mid majors, you know, during the regular season? Mm -hmm. And if they don't, how do you evaluate those teams vis-a-vis each other? And, you know, there's, there are complications, but, I suspect that would happen. The other possibility is that these power institutions pull out just for college football. And that's a distinct possibility too, mm-hmm. that, that that's where we go. Right. Um, and so they never really leave the umbrella of the NCAA in terms of basketball or any other sports, you know, so I, I, I think that's one thing to keep in mind if you're worried about this. The other thing, and this gets not only at that issue I was just talking about, but also at the idea of expanding the tournament, we have on, and I know a lot of our listeners are also members of the Spartan Mag Board, and there's a poster I think we've referenced on here before a few times, um, Atlanta 12, who is I believe my understanding is involved on the television advertising side of collegiate sports, which is a very good place to be because it makes you privy to a lot of conversations about these issues. And, you know, for those who it's become a very popular thing over the last 72 hours or so to say, well, the Big Ten didn't make the decision to expand. Fox did. Okay, maybe there's some truth in that. But I think you could also say the people who advertise on Fox have a lot to say about this, right? Because yeah. they're ultimately the ones that are buying the product. So someone in that position has reason to know a lot. And he's been very, very good in terms of forecasting what was coming. And one of the things he's had to say about this issue of expanding the tournament is he said, you know, 
not only is it an expensive proposition to be an advertiser in the NCAA basketball tournament, but it is a, it's a tough proposition to even be able to get into that position. In other words, it takes some work just to become an NCAA tournament sponsor, advertiser, what have you. Mm -hmm. And the understanding is that those people, and I believe most of the decision makers in the college basketball world, meaning athletic directors, et cetera, also understand this as well, that there is an understanding of what makes the tournament successful and what might chip away against the reasons that it works. It is a phenomenally successful event. We all know that from a ratings perspective, an interest perspective, an advertising rate perspective, all of these things. Gambling. So if you believe all of that, then you have to believe that saner minds prevail and understand, hey, the wider we broaden access to this event, and especially if we're in the process of doing this, also making it less likely that we have those kind of fairly Dickinson over Purdue moments that capture the imagination so well, um, the less interest there's likely to be and the less valuable your property is going to be. So I am not worried about some kind of massive expansion and I'm not really worried about the tournament anytime in the near term, at least becoming a big schools only kind of thing. I think everybody involved understands the reason the NCAA tournament works is in part the idea that you can have these Davids versus Goliaths have success. It captures the imagination of the country when that happens. And that's what gives the event juice, you know? And if you get rid of that aspect of it, yeah, you've still got a championship and you still have interest, but it's not the same thing. Right. Yeah. If you have Baylor as the three and Washington is the 14, no one gets that excited about Washington winning that. Yeah. (laughs) No, you don't want to. And that's the the other thing too, is (laughs) even from a competitiveness standpoint, I would submit part of the reason that you see upsets happen in the NCAA tournament is you have to remember the team who wins you know, the Southland conference, or they win, uh, you know, the Ohio Valley, whatever league it is. Now, sometimes you have a team like fairly Dickinson was an example where they really weren't great, even within their league, they just happen to get hot in their conference tournament. And that does happen a few leagues a year, but for the mm-hmm. most part, those teams have been very successful. What that means is those teams have a confidence about them and that they've earned through winning and they've learned how to win. That I think helps those kinds of upsets happen. If you've got a 14 seeded Washington team that was 13 and 16 in the season and they finished 15th in the big, in the big 10, is that team really, I, I know they objectively have better talent, than a mid-major champion, or they might. But are they actually going to be more likely to pull off an upset? 
I would submit maybe not, you know, yep. that, that's just an opinion, but I, I, I do think there's some merit to it. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think, you know, when you look at, and as far as, you know, are these big power five conference teams going to be playing schools that are in the, you know, mid majors or whatever, unless they want to, unless these schools want to only play power five schools all season, which they don't seem to have any appetite to do right now, which they could do, right? There's no, nothing stopping them right now. There's no reason to think that they wouldn't continue playing those teams and opportunities for those teams to be part of the mix in the, at least the non-conference schedule too, right? So I don't, in some ways, I don't think it really changes a whole lot, except that you're going to be playing teams more routinely that you never did before. But again, it doesn't change, I guess, the overall nature probably like the balance of your schedule. I don't think a whole lot. Well, the, the only way that that's that, that we start to get into that equation is if the big 10 looks at this and decides, uh, you know what, this three dual plays and right. Yeah. 14 sure. single plays mm-hmm. is just not good. We got to at least get that to, I don't know, five and um, five and 12. Yeah. Right. And, and then that would necessitate a 22 game schedule. Now, I don't think there's any way, whereas I, I do think in football, I'm going to kind of be surprised if football doesn't add another game or two at some point to the regular mm-hmm. season. Cause yeah. you know, growing up, it was 11 games and then it's become 12, 12 has become codified and, you know, can actually be 13 if you're playing in a conference championship and as many as 15, if you get all the way to the playoff title game, um, I think they can do that basketball. I just don't know if there's room on the schedule to add well, more games, compressing time between games, but, but like that's that, the thing. I think you'd have too much pushback. Yeah, no. I think- um, so if the big 10 were to move to a 22 game conference schedule, well, that's now meaning you've maybe got seven or eight non-conference games tops and yeah. you are starting to restrict some of this stuff. Now the, the downside to that is, <laughs> you know, there's always been an understanding that you have the non-conference, a certain number of games, at least to work through kinks, play mm-hmm. around with playing groups, basically fine tune your team before it gets serious. Well, that, that's going to be, there's going to be less and less of an opportunity to do that. <laughs> On the flip side, if what you're interested in primarily is the most competitive possible scenario, playing 22 games against Big Ten opponents will be very competitive. I can tell you that much. <laughs> so yeah. there won't be many nights where you go into it thinking, well, we got a laugher here, you know? <laughs> under that scenario. So sure. it'll be interesting to me to see how they play that out. I, I will say this, the idea of this three dual play three home and home and, and 14 single plays. I personally am not a fan of that. I don't like it. I don't see another way around it, but I don't like it. Yeah, I think so. I think that's probably the, the case too. You know, so if you're one of the, four remaining teams of the pack pack 12, you know, the pack four life's in the gutters. Well, if your life's in the gutter and you're having trouble with your gutters, your house, you need to reach out to the brothers that just do gutters. They do fantastic work. We're having, it seems like monsoon season all the time now here in Michigan, someplace in the country, like out in Arizona, former pack 12 country, 
they have searing heat. Well, we've had a lot of rain here at the special last month or so. If you're having trouble with your gutters, leaves build up in the fall or the spring and you hate climbing up your ladder, maybe you don't like climbing on ladders like me, especially if it's like two stories up. You've taken care of too many people who've fallen off ladders and broken their neck or ankles and arms and stuff. So get the professionals to do it. They do a fantastic job, fully insured, take care of everything they can put the leaf guards in, they can clean them out, they can replace them, which they had to do for mine. I had a tree growing my gutter. Don't be like me. Don't leave it. Leave your gutters in such poor condition that you end up causing all kinds of problems around your house. It is important, just like having good roof and shingles, you have to have good gutters to keep the water off your house. So contact the Butters Brothers Adjust Your Gutters. There's Kurt over on the west side of the state and his team, and there's also Greg and his team in the southeast side of the state, Detroit area, metro Detroit area, which is a very large uh, region. You're just kind of out of luck if you're in the north part of the state or in Lansing area, or if you're not even in Michigan, I don't know what to tell you. But if you're in Michigan, you want to check, contact these guys. They do fantastic work. You can find them at brothersgutters.com. You can also find links to that in the show notes below or on YouTube if that's where you're watching this as well. Um, and again, 10% off if you say Final Four for your estimate. So finally, I guess the the last question... You know, I guess my impression here is that you're not a big fan of the of the expansion, but it, you know, it is what it is. From a Michigan State standpoint, does this really affect much? Because I, I feel like, I guess for me personally, as a f- season ticket holder, I'm going to be, you know, potentially you could have it could be great if you get the right teams scheduled, but you could also have a lousy season, like I said, where you're getting Northwestern and Penn State and Nebraska, and you're not getting any good games, which is entirely it's, possible. It's going to be a lot more like football. Right. Where every year we look at that home slate for football and it, it can vary quite a bit. Right. Yeah. Right. And so you're like, so anyway, I, I mean, I think there, that there's going to be that aspect of it. But for Michigan State, I, I don't feel like it's going to make much of it because, again, Tom Izzo, and I don't know if this is an insight really by him, but I definitely feel like he recognized early on in his career that there's a, a greater and greater emphasis on what happens in March. And uh, he sort of would build his program and his season to crescendo sort of at that time. And not to say that Judd Heathcote didn't do that, but I, I feel like it just became, he recognized that sort of the trend, as you mentioned, it's just that's become more and more about March. And so I think in some ways it doesn't really make a difference too much for Michigan State, except that, you know, I'm not going to be traveling to, uh, you know, Eugene to go watch a game or anything like that. But, and maybe the Big Ten tournament's not going to be in Las Vegas. Who knows where they have to eventually have it out <laughs> west at some yeah. point, probably, right? We'll I mean, rule it out, sure. Something so, like that. They, they did it. They did it for D.C. and, uh, I know. and New York. So you right. would think that, somewhere somewhere on the West Coast. Sure. I mean, they're, they're like two dozen Rutgers fans uh, who know, made that game, and I'm sure the two dozen, you know, it's, it's an interesting, fans. It's an interesting point because – I, clearly, you know, that's Izzo's reputation. And I think even Michigan State fans believe that, that, you know, he kind of has this this internal clock that moves from November to March and is calibrated in such a way that the team is peaking in March. And I would say, you know, even I would say the last three years, which by Izzo standards have not been great. Um, you could make a pretty good argument that Michigan state was playing its best basketball of the season in March in all three of those years. Um, so it is definitely a truism. On the other hand, I know that things like winning big 10 championships means a ton to that guy. He will never, 
because of the age he's at, he's never going to get to a point, no matter what they do with the schedule, that he's going <laughs> to say, well, this doesn't really matter. You know, that's just never going to happen. I think in terms of what it means for Michigan State as a program, I agree it doesn't mean very much in this sense. You know, if you were talking about if Kansas had joined the Big Ten, let's say, um, you could make an argument, well, that's another heavyweight and maybe one of the handful of programs anywhere that you could say on a year-in-year-out basis might be a little better positioned than Michigan State, right? Right. There's not many of them. That's one. Um, they didn't, they didn't add anybody like that. So, and even as we've said, UCLA for as much tradition as there is, and it's, I expect them to be a very, very good basketball program over time in the big 10. Um, right now, at least my, and really for the entirety of Tom Izzo's tenure at Michigan state, it's never felt to me like UCLA was a Kansas Duke. Kentucky, Carolina, where right. you could make yeah. an argument. Well, if that program is humming on all cylinders, you might not be able to do anything about it, even if you're as great as Michigan State is. Um, UCLA is not that. So th- this wave of expansion doesn't change very much. I, I think that for the last 25 years, Michigan State is the preeminent basketball program in the Big Ten. I don't think there's much of an argument about that. And I don't expect that to stop unless and until Tom Izzo is not the head coach. And then we'll see. So, yeah, this doesn't change anything in terms of the real fundamentals of MSU. Well, I think we'll leave it there. Again, if you have uh, always wondered, hey, I wish, how can I support the show? Aside from sharing it with your friends, leaving a five-star written review on your podcast player. You know, if you want to become a paid supporter of the show, or you have a business you want to advertise on a show, we're more than happy to have you come on board. Uh, you can go to find out more about that at tffinots.com slash support. There you can find ways of giving a one-time gift via PayPal or Venmo or a monthly subscription uh, through Patreon. Uh, also, you can get a hold of me and send me a letter anytime, uh, eric at tffinots.com. Uh, actually, it's interesting. I don't even know if I told you this. So we had a Patrick, one of the listeners who left it, dropped an email saying, you know, we had done a show last, well, earlier, you know, we were talking about the um, five greatest wins for Michigan State in the NCAA tournament. And he said, well, you've got to have one that's the five worst. <laughs> I have, I don't need to relive those moments. And so I think I appreciate the, the thoughts, but I don't know about you, but I don't need to relive those painful losses anymore. Talk about Middle Tennessee State and what went wrong. So, um, I do encourage you, though, if you have ideas for shows, please send them along. We're more than happy to do it, especially when you have a little more time during the summer. So uh, shoot them along to me. And anytime we hear from people, I really appreciate it a ton. And if you see us out and about, say hi. I appreciate that, too. Uh, so until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. <laughs>